0: Hello everyone, I am Dana Alvarenga, the Vice President of Customer Experience at slat 5
1: And I am Kaylee Baskett, and I'm the Director of Revenue Growth at Slat 5
0: And this is Customer X Therapy, where we invite you to take a seat on our virtual couch and tell us what's on your mind. Whether you need some guidance or want
1: to offer therapy to your fellow customer X pros, we are here to listen.
0: Thanks for joining us today. We have uh, Marcus Wrench uh, joining us on the Customer X Therapy uh, podcast. And uh, Marcus, could you give a quick hello of who you are and what you're about?
2: Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm Marcus. I'm the founder of Remarkable, um, a consulting firm dedicated to help SaaS companies to grow faster, further and more profitable by becoming more customer-centric. And I've spent the past few years on creating my very own business model, which I like to call customer value-led growth. And yeah, that's what I'd like to talk about today.
0: Perfect. So yeah, as you just mentioned, Marcus, you've spent the last couple of years creating a new SaaS business model called that customer value-led growth. And it's definitely a unique approach that aligns teams around a single mission and a goal. Um continuously growing the customer's value. So you, you've stated um in some of your posts and messaging that, that it helps you to grow faster and more profitable by focusing on all the levers of growth like price, product, acquisition, expansion, retention. Um, with this new way of thinking and alignment of teams in the SaaS space, would love to start by digging in there. Can you, in your own words, describe really what your CVLG or your customer led growth means and and how does it work?
2: Okay, so now let me um, talk a bit on a broader scale. The situation today is in SaaS, there are more and more vendors. So customers really have today, basically an infinite number of choices. So if they don't get value from you, they will move on and try to luck with someone else. So customer expectations are super, super high. And as a consequence, also customer acquisition costs are super high and they will continue to grow. The, the growth plate most SaaS companies um, ran in the past and are still running today is trying to maximize the number of customers. But this is no longer a viable strategy. It just creates incredibly high customer acquisition costs and high churn. So my business model, my approach is completely different. Um, it's really entirely customer focused. In the customer value growth business model, you're focusing on growing the customer value and then you monetize it. So you no longer grow for the sake of it, but first you deliver customer value and you earn the right to grow and you earn the customer's revenue. So basically you could say, it's about maximizing customer lifetime value. So not the number of customers, but the lifetime value of each and every customer.
0: And how how do you get teams aligned with this approach?
2: So the the, the basic problem um, in SaaS companies is that every team has different goals in most cases. So you have the marketing team. And usually their goal is to create a high number of leads. Then they pass these leads on to sales. The goal of the sales team is to close each and every deal just to reach a short-term sales quota. So they don't really care um, whether they sign up good fit or bad fit customers and then you have the customer success team at the end who inherits these customers and their mission is to secure attention which is obviously a problem if you inherit um, bad fit customers so you're basically continuously firefighting churn but most of it is they are really um, fights you can't win because you've been set up for failure and the problem is the problem starts top down So it's really the the culture and the management from the company um, who drives this focus on quantity instead of quality top-down. My approach is to abandon that, that, that way of thinking, that mindset and focus on quality. So you don't no longer create a high number of leads, but marketing's mission is to find the customers who will benefit the most from the product. Then you have the sales team. The sales team, Works with high quality leads and determines um, whether these leads um, possess the means to become successful. So, and, and only if the customer is a strong fit, um, customer success can actually succeed. So, when the customer success team inherits these customers, the next step is to deliver value and continuously grow the customer value. And then you monetize it with expansions, with upsells, with price increases, because customers who are highly successful. Are much more uh, insensitive to price increases. And eventually, also customers who are very successful have the highest motivation to actually give referrals. You don't well, ask customers making... anymore, how likely is it to refer? But you really want and get these referrals. Yeah,
0: that's a good, good point of kind of making these customers successful, driving towards those referrals. So a lot of A lot of our our audience and our customer base is either in customer experience, customer reference, um, customer marketing. So what role do you see customer marketing playing alongside customer success managers? Where do you see them fitting in, the customer marketing manager or that customer marketing function?
2: Ideally, you don't really need customer marketing at all because um, the customer value does all the talking.
0: And with referrals and the the references, those come kind of organically from that customer success motion. Yes, but also, as I've said, um,
2: upsells and expansions, of course. Very good, very good. So and- one more thing I would like to add on um, the alignments, yeah. what a company needs. So what you need is a, to create um, a goal and the KPI that also aligns everybody in the company. So that metric is the net retention rate. Why? Because that's the KPI that really shows um, whether your growth is sustainable. So, if you create a whole lot of bad leads and bad fit customers, your churn will be high and you can never achieve a high net, net retention rate. It's literally impossible. If you have 20% churn per year, you, you can't ever um, get to 150% of the net retention rate, which um, the best SaaS companies actually achieve. If you look at companies like Snowflake or Twilio, they have 150 or even more net retention rate. And that's, that's really crazy. I mean, they literally grow on their own. They, they could grow faster than most other SaaS companies without acquiring a single new customer. And, and also that growth, it's super efficient because um, customers already have a proof of value. So they are already keen on buying more resources from you because they want to further scale the value. It's really obvious. Customers achieve their goal. And when they achieve the goal, they will move on to the next level goal and want more. They buy more. This way, you're really um, growing the customer value, and you can really fully monetize it. Of course, only if you have a proper pricing in place. So you need to have a pricing um, that uh, where you expand the customer along the um, the customer value metric. So if if your value metric is let's say the number of of contacts or leads, then your pricing must reflect it.
1: So. It's interesting that you say that in this model, there's not a need for customer marketing and I'm gonna kind of push back on that piece. Um, So in my mind, I think there's this sort of traditional view of customer marketing as being solely there to build out case studies and um, sort of, you know, maybe connect people to each other. But, you know, what we are seeing in this space is a much more strategic uh, way of thinking that's coming about in which the customer marketers are really fostering relationships Relationship. on almost like a one-on-one basis with their customers and and just helping people get connected to each other. Um, so are you saying that at these companies, like the examples you listed, like Twilio, are you saying that they don't have a need at all for somebody to be, um, acting as like a conduit to connect customers to each other, or are they simply connecting with each other on their own? I'm just trying to uh, understand where the, the line is drawn there.
2: So, so, so for me, there are basically two different things. One part is the things that happen prior to sale, which is marketing and selling, um, to a new customer, but. After the purchase, as I've said, the customer value should do the talking. Of course, you need to have people in place that um, are channeling things and then talk to customers and, and, and manage um, the customer growth. But to me, uh, it's not really a, yeah, a function where you need to create um, people that are really doing only customer marketing. Why? Because the customer success manager has the strongest relationship with the customer. So they should really do almost everything related to this customer.
1: It's funny. We just had a a webinar through our CustomerX community with um, Nick Mehta and Tyler McNally from Gainsight. And I think there's a huge conversation going on right now about how important it is to align customer marketing with customer success. Um, So I, I definitely agree with this idea that, you know, customer success really has a true pulse on where customers are and what the right moments through that customer journey are to potentially be amplifying the stories that they're telling and or connecting them with other customers. For example, maybe there's a customer who has, you know, is a little further down on the maturity curve. Uh, than somebody who's approaching a renewal. And so it might be valuable to connect those two. And I think that that's where we're seeing this sort of customer advocacy, customer marketing type of role fitting in is, is in kind of fostering those types of conversations. So I think we're kind of saying the same thing.
0: <laughs> no, exactly. And and that actually just leads into a little bit more of, of Marcus, you had a um, a recent post uh, that uh, talked about the old game versus the new game, the old game being maximizing the number of new customers at all costs. And then you position the new game as maximizing and monetizing the customer value. So with this kind of mind shift in this new way, can you talk a little bit more about kind of the old game and new game? And, and when did you come to this realization? Kind of what triggered that need for you to see we really need to be maximizing and monetizing this customer value. What, what led you to this?
2: As I've said initially, one key driver of the, the need for change is um, the growing customer expectations and customer acquisition costs. So if you look at the data and um, the, the research that's been done in SaaS, um, it clearly shows that new customer acquisition um, is the weakest level of growth. I've also made a post on LinkedIn a few days ago were uh, linked um, to a report from the KeyBank SaaS survey. And um, they found that the best companies um, created 1,150% profit from expansion, 170% from upsell, and only 18% from new customer acquisition. That has been the the top end. So at the bottom end, there are companies um, that spend $2 um, to acquire one dollar for new acquisitions. So basically they're losing a dollar on acquiring a new customer. And that that's just crazy. That's that's just um yeah, you spend so much money new customer acquisition. And also when you have a high churn rate, it's really unsustainable. You have customer payback periods of like three years or even more.
1: Yep. And I, I think that's all of what you're saying is what has led to an increase in focus on. A lot of the customer-facing functions, like customer success and yeah, customer definitely. marketing, customer advocacy, and I think that you know it's this shift that really, you know, the market right now has is finally catching up and recognizing all of what you're saying. So um, it's awesome that you, uh, in a way, kind of put into words and into your content a lot of things that have really come into fruition. Um, I'm curious. You know, it sounds like there's a lot of sort of trust involved in uh, in this process, and not only getting the customers to trust in the organization, but also for you when you're going into companies to do this type of uh, you know work. I feel like there's probably a bit of a barrier for you to for you to overcome. You know this legacy way of doing things so what are some of your um you know what what are some of the challenges that you face when you bring this to an organization and are you starting at the top down um similar to the way the old game is played or are you doing this culture shift
2: from the bottom up so the the biggest challenge still up to these days um that so many people, they are really blinded by instant gratification. So they see, okay, we create a ton of leads and they think, okay, we create a ton of sales and we really grow grow forever. So they really take these bad results to get now over much, much better results later. So I think it's it's today, it's really a cultural thing. So no one no one has really the patience anymore to really Invest into the long term. It's really sad. I can't can say it, it's otherwise. Um, so what I have to admit, I mean, I don't think that um, there will be many companies that are actually even listening. So there are probably ninety five companies who will never listen. They are so stuck in their ways, and they will continue to do the same, and they won't won't change anything. But the people I'd like to talk are the other 5%, meeting more and more people who are already um, are in doubt themselves, So they, they already have in mind that there must be a better way to grow instead of doing it with, with brute force and wasting so much time and money. So and these are the people um, that are open for a change, the people who listen. And that, that's, that's the people I'd like to, to catch where they already are.
0: Yeah, that so much, sense. so much synergy with us. Yes. <laughs> same model that we have in regards to our our, our methodology and philosophy with, with who we reach. We don't want the masses. We want the ones who are open and want to be those game changers. <laughs>
2: right. so the, another important note is that um, that kind of change, it needs to happen top down. Yeah. So as long as the CEO or the board members or whoever um course the shots um does not uh, buy into this change into um a more quality focused operation and invest into the long with the, the long term yeah that there's there's no hope that it will ever succeed with implementing uh, that uh, my new business model
1: yeah i i mean we see i think quite a bit in our community you know because we stay connected with people at you know, no matter which company they're at, they tend to stay within our community. Uh, We tend to see that when people are at organizations who have this old mantra and aren't recognizing the value of this entire, you know, conversation, this customer value-led growth, um, they tend to move. And so those companies, you know, they're not only losing their talent, uh, or sorry, not only losing their customers, but also losing their talent, And I mean, at the end of the day, um, the market share is going to continue to, you know, go to these companies who really get it in terms of this customer value-led growth. Um, And I think, you know, like you said, we're kind of still in that uphill battle (laughs) and trying to get there. But um, I'm curious, so, you know, what are, What makes up your ideal customer profile? You know, other than somebody who has that mindset, are there any other signals that you look for in an individual or in a company?
2: The funny thing is uh, most companies I'm talking to and who become my customers actually are those companies where churn became so painful (laughs) that they can no longer ignore it. But of course, I... I wish things would would be a bit different. Um, So yeah, the the ideal customer for me is someone who is like-minded to me. So someone who really wants to to grow by serving their customers and really earn revenue in return, not the other way around. But there are so many companies, so it's it's quite easy to identify companies that are customer-centric and those who are not. So that's just one question you need to ask. And the question is, do you ever say no to customers? So if they sell, say no, because everybody's our customer, you should really run for the hills because these are the, costs, the companies um, who exactly follow this acquisition that uh, growth approach and really try to, to sell to each and everybody and they don't have the customer's best interest in mind, but they're really self-centric. No matter what love they that. say on their um, about us page or wherever they like to talk about how customer centric they are, but really, for most companies, it's it's just marketing speech.
1: I love that. I love so, that. Yes. So <laughs> Sorry, elegant <Kaylee>. and simple.
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Such a simple way to to break it down. That yep. Do you ever say no to new customers? I'm gonna start to use that one, for sure. Yeah, oh, that's <laughs> great. It's great
2: of advice. It's also a great question if you're um, um, are looking for a new new role in customer success.
1: That's what I was just about to say. I think some folks in our community should keep that in mind as they interview for a
2: new role. Unless you really like, love a firefighting journey uh, basically all your life, then, of course, uh, you should join it, that kind of company.
1: Yep, I think think most customer marketers, customer success, and customer advocacy folks get pretty burnt out, if you'll forgive my pun, on the firefighting. I'm sorry, that was just sitting right there. I had to go for that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I've I've seen and heard these stories um, quite often, so where you have the customer success team that really um, sits at the bottom end, and they get a lot of bad customers, and really they they have to to fight night and day to keep these customers, and they often fight battles they can't win. And at the end of the day, so they even get the blame uh, when customers churn. So that that's really it's really sad.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's like you know these customer facing roles end up being a casualty <laughs> in, in all of this, you know. And and a lot of times, I think people get complacent or or don't realize that there is another approach. So. I guess to anybody who's listening who's in a bad situation at an organization just know that there there is another way and there are a lot of really wonderful companies who actually understand that you know bringing customers true value is is the best way to grow so keep your heads up (laughs) because (laughs) there are good fits out there
2: yes i mean we are just um, in quite an early stage so there's a lot more advocacy to do. And yeah, maybe more companies will yeah, fetch the train and um, yeah, join us on a, on a new journey and really, really become more customer-centric and yeah, do things the right way.
1: Right. Because it's not just, it's not just about the growth. It's also about longevity of your employees at the end of the day, you know, who who nobody wants to be in that firefighting position and 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 it's not sustainable, neither for the customers nor the the employees. And so I guess for you, I'm imagining that in your conversation, so much of what you talk about is trying to get people to see the long-term vision instead of just thinking about the number of sales qualified leads or, you know, the the volume of, of the upper part of the pipeline or, or the top of funnel. And it's so much more about understanding the long-term vision and the fact that these, you know, it, 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 this creates a snowball effect uh, at the organization. Do, are there some, any specific proof points that you use in terms of statistics or data when you're you know in conversation maybe with an organization that you think has the potential to be the right type of fit but maybe there are a couple of people who are you know still on the fence about the philosophy
2: yeah i mean it's it's really interesting so um so many companies in says um consider themselves really data driven but from my experience um what the Probably are referring to is that they are collecting a lot of data, so um, it looks really it really looks like they don't look at the data and they don't understand the data and they don't act on the data. So I mean, when I, I talk to companies and and ask them um, the simplest question, um, do you know um, what customers are profitable? Um, do you know what outcomes they get? So there are so many companies. Who really don't have that the most important information, and it's really crazy. They don't know whether their customers are successful and profitable. These are basically the two most important um answers you need to have.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> That's very interesting that most don't know that. And and I guess kind of with all of this advice and, and kind of insights that you're seeing Marcus what would be kind of as we look to um kind of wrap up and close our conversation here I would love to hear what is kind of one of your best success stories I guess with, with one of your clients you don't have to name names obviously but we'd love to hear kind of what mind shift change you, you brought in and and what feedback they gave to you
2: so um my idea of customer success is that it's really not only a function, but it's it needs to become a company-wide operating system. And it really starts with your company's positioning. So basically the point um, where you um, are raising the customer expectations. So I had this client um, some time ago, um, they had a, a recruiting tool um, and basically what they said, yeah, with our tool, um, your recruiting becomes more efficient. And the crazy thing was that this was just um, a, a side effect, an additional benefit. So they really uh, failed to, to tell their customers what is the, the key value they, they get. So and um, once we fix this and we have the customers uh, going in the right direction, they could raise their prices by 1,400 percent. And obviously that made <laughs> a wow. huge change. That was, that's huge. And the funny thing was um, in our initial um in our kickoff basically, um, I I showed them how how little money they actually charge for the product. So they were all they were completely um surprised. So when I, I told them okay, when you charge this price, um You get only 20 cent per uh, per application, which is incredibly low. So, but really, once they fix this, fix that, and we also talk to the right companies later. So, these companies who really see a lot of benefit. So, things were really accelerating incredibly fast. So, it's really I'm not kidding. It's been 1,400 percent. So from from 20 cents to 3 euros, Euros, um, that was the price growth. Just by fixing um, the positioning and helping customers to use the product the right way. Wow.
1: So I'm curious about that organization or maybe even others who have had a similar outcome. Were they pricing themselves based on competitors in the market?
2: In most cases, they are really, um, yeah, <laughs> it's like random pricing. So they check out 10 competitors and basically then add or take a few percent off or to the price. So that's basically it. So that's also something I'm very vocal about. So pricing is an incredibly powerful growth lever because if you can successfully um, raise your prices by, let's say, 20%. It affects all new acquisitions or renewals or upsells and expansions. So it's, and you, you don't have to basically do anything besides changing your price. So it's, it's really, it's, it's perfectly scalable. It's the most scalable growth level you actually have.
0: And, and, by I'm, that all for it,
2: <laughs> and I'm all for it. It needs to become, um, the price Need to become customer value based. So you need to understand, OK, how much value do our customers get for the product? And in SaaS, there is that so-called golden rule that you, um, that the customer needs to, to get 10 times as much value as your charge. But most companies have a random price in, in, in place because they don't know how much value do my customers actually get. And obviously, if um, the more the longer your company operates, the better the outcomes should become for the customers. So you want to raise these prices. Also your product becomes better, hopefully. So you also want to raise these prices. But of course, you, have, you need to deliver value first. It's, it's always the same, you need to deliver first and earn the customer's business continuously. So it, that's also what's what makes SaaS so special is you basically have to, have to sell your product every month again and again. So that's also why I'm absolutely certain all teams need to work together very closely. Because if you, if you acquire a customer, the customer leaves after a month, the customer leaves with a debt. And that's money that you will never see again. So you really have to focus on delivering value fast and delivering value throughout the whole customer life cycle. And that's, right. that's everybody's job because your company exists to make customers more successful. And if you work for that company, you're part of customer success, no matter what your um, your name tag says, your, your profile says, whether you're a marketer, sales, product, everybody is really doing the same. They're just contributing different things.
0: So true. <laughs> that's a valuable statement. I like that. One other
1: follow-up to that, just because I'm very fascinated here is, so would you say that when you press that price lever and you really increase the price, does it come with this sort of organic churn of customers who aren't a bad fit and companies are left with really only the customers who are a great fit, who are going to continue to see the value am i processing that correctly
2: yeah it's it's, it's quite effective i would say nice. to do it right <laughs> but of course but of course um you need to to get rid of this bad fit, fit customers once and then you need to make certain that they won't trickle in again
1: and how do we how do they do the latter how do they make sure that they don't come back in
2: so the important part is um to really create these ideal customer profiles. And that's also um, a very important mission from customer success managers. So because they are collecting the information about who is the ideal customer because they're working with them them on a daily basis. So your marketers and salespeople, they, they work with assumptions about who is the ideal customer, but the customer success managers, they can evaluate it, they can prove it, and they can, they need to um, to distribute that kind of information and share it with other teams in the company. And then you create these ideal customer profiles and you acquire these ideal customer profiles.
0: I like your approach and everything with the customer value led. And then just talking about the customer profiles right there, awesome, and the pricing strategy, I think all of these Bits and pieces um, really tie into why why this is successful and and why that five percent of customers that are customer led or companies that are customer led are going to do it and going to do it the right way. So, bravo to you for sure for tapping into this. Uh, really really interesting and and our audience is definitely going to learn something for this, from this, because they are on that mind shift change type audience and and looking to do new innovative type things. Um, So excited to hear everyone's feedback as we had Marcus here on the Customer X Therapy couch with us. Um, can they find you, um, is the best place LinkedIn? Where should they go? Yes, the
2: absolute best place is LinkedIn. So Um, sure, so please allow me one more announcement. Sure. I'm working on an ebook uh, where I'm talking about uh, my framework. So actually, I mean you can also read about my framework on my web- website. Uh, but now I'm creating a yeah a more detailed ebook about. So it's it's basically a, a guide to help you um, adopt the customer growth model. Uh, so I'm explaining all the steps involved, and yeah, I'm quite excited and. Uh, it will be released within the next one or two weeks. Perfect. Awesome. Well, we uh, look forward
0: to reading that and, and sharing that with our audience as well. That should be yes, great. I, I mean, we'll definitely
2: announce it on LinkedIn. So I hope many people will um, see the post. And yeah, hopefully they are interested in yeah learning about a different way um, to look at growth.
1: I'm interested. <laughs> I will be reading it. (laughs) Yeah, this was so great. Thank you so much. Um, We're ending this session and we look forward to hosting the next guest on our couch. Feel free to submit a topic or apply to speak on the podcast on the Customer X Therapy podcast, LinkedIn or on our
2: website.